Hello, All Nations Church, along with any visitors who are viewing this on YouTube or Facebook. It's great to be able to share with you today. Now, my name's Ian, and I have the privilege of serving as part of the eldership team here at All Nations. Now, this is the penultimate preach in our series on encounters with God. Last week, Richard looked at when Elijah met with God on Mount Horeb, and this week I'm going to look at when Saul, who perhaps now we better know as the Apostle Paul, met with Jesus on the road to Damascus. So if you've got a Bible handy, now's the time to turn to Acts chapter 11, and we're going to be reading from verse 1 to 31. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. But before we do that, I just want to pray quickly. Father God, we, we ask that you'd open eyes, ears, hearts, to hear, see, understand what you're speaking to us today. Amen. So, Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Now the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. 
And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learnt this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Amen. Now, the first point that I'd like to make concerning this passage may seem obvious, but it has huge implications. It's this, Jesus is alive. Yes, Jesus is alive. You see, Saul, he didn't have a dream or a vision. He met with the risen Christ. It was a very personal encounter. Now, Saul perhaps thought that he was on his way to Damascus as part of a, a mopping up operation, maybe thinking, well, we, we've dealt with the ringleader, now Jesus is dead. We just now have to deal with all his hangers on and then the job's done. But it wasn't to be like that. The person, the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul knows he has met with Jesus after this encounter. Indeed, he makes it central to his claim of apostleship. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1, we read Paul saying, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Jesus is alive. You see, Paul thought that he was persecuting the church, but Jesus actually put him straight. Why are you persecuting me? He says, Jesus is effectively saying, you mess with my church, you mess with me. Church, <laughs> we're living in very strange times at the moment, but Jesus has our backs. He is alive. He will build his church. Now, the next thing that leaps from this passage to me is that Jesus changes everything. You see, Saul went from a man, as the passage says, breathing threats and murder against the disciples to one whose own life was in danger and had to escape in a basket under cover of darkness. <laughs> That's quite some turnaround. Those in Damascus saw it as well. We read in the passage, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you are thinking that your life could do with a bit of a turnaround at the moment, but perhaps you doubt whether it's possible. You may have thoughts going round in your head saying, don't deserve to get out of this mess, it's my own doing, or why would Jesus help me? Paul didn't deserve anything that happened to him. He was the exact opposite at that time of everything that we, humanly speaking, would have been looking for in an early church leader. But Jesus, but Jesus. That encounter with the risen Christ, the alive Jesus, that turned his chief persecutor 
into his evangelist in chief. Now that's some turnaround. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, describes it like this in 1 Timothy 1, starting at verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Jesus changes everything, and he does it with grace. He does it to those who don't deserve it, which is all of us. We all have access to it. Wherever you are today, whatever your past, whatever future you face, Jesus can turn it around. You just need to surrender to him and ask. So Jesus is alive and he's actively looking to turn lives around. What else can we learn from this encounter? Well, I believe that this encounter and actually many of the other heavenly encounters that we read about in scripture shows that Jesus changes our perspective. Now, before I started reading this passage in detail for this preach, I'd, I'd never really thought about the fact that we see Paul blinded in any detail. Why does that happen? Now, the scripture itself does not explicitly explain why, but here's how I see Jesus' hand at work. In that 1 Timothy 1 passage that I read earlier, Paul also describes himself as a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man and one who acted in ignorance and unbelief. In short, he was perhaps an arrogant man, convinced of his own righteousness. But his encounter with Jesus left him helpless, blind, reliant on others, led by the hand. For three days he saw nothing, ate nothing, drank nothing. He was being taught humility. His perspective was being changed. He had to rely on others. He had to cede control. We also get a hint in what the Lord says to Ananias. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. You see, meeting with Jesus, meeting with the Lord will sometimes bring rebuke and challenge. We saw that last week as well in, in the preach that Richard did on Elijah. God asks him, what are you doing here? And then tells him, go back the way you came. Church, are we prepared to have our perspective challenged? That's what an encounter with Jesus will do. Now, the events of recent weeks have made it very clear that there's still much work for the church to do in building the one new people that scripture speaks of, read Ephesians, and where we all do truly stand before the Lord as one, united in, in, in our love for him, neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, etc., etc. every barrier broken down. We're not there yet. We all need our perspective challenged. And yes, the world can offer much wisdom here, and I urge you to read and educate yourself. But ultimately, Jesus is our guide, and scripture is our yardstick. A heavenly counter will always give us a godly perspective on our situation, but we'd be mistaken in thinking that always means rebuke. Many other times in scripture, we see heads being lifted and words of encouragement spoken out over people during heavenly encounters. In the Old Testament, Gideon, he's hiding in a wine press, threshing his corn in fear. 
But then he's greeted by an angel with the words, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And you get the sense, what, what, me? You're talking to me? He was far from a mighty warrior at the time. He wouldn't have felt like that at all. But God was changing his perspective. An example from the New Testament. In Luke's gospel, read of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who climbs a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And in those few words, his life is transformed. Staying at a house conferred acceptance, honor. The tax collector, Zacchaeus, the outcast from society, was being welcomed in. His perspective on himself was well and truly changed. So church, how do we need our perspective change today? Where have we as individuals and as a body become arrogant and, and need to seek forgiveness? And where do we see ourselves as far less than Jesus would have us be? Hear those words he speaks over us. You are accepted. Arise, mighty warrior. Now we've seen Jesus is alive. He turns lives around. He corrects perspective. Is there anything else that an encounter with Jesus brings? I think there is. Now looking at this and at many of the other heavenly encounters in scripture, I think that a, a meeting with Jesus actually points us to community. Now this encounter we're reading of today may have started as very much for the individual, for Saul. But Jesus is part of a communal Godhead. He loves to knit his people together. What starts individual rarely stays that way. So in the account today, we read that Paul is effectively sent on to Ananias for the next part of his journey. If we look at some of those other encounters in the Bible, we see that Gideon's account encounter leads to him raising up an army. Elijah, as we heard last week, was sent to anoint others. Mary, the mother of Jesus, her encounter leads her to her cousin Elizabeth. And the unborn John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb as Mary approaches. As we've just heard, the tax collector Zacchaeus hosts a dinner, becomes community, and so on, and so on. And these connections, this building of community is for purpose, to further each individual's journey of faith and to further the purposes of God. Now, there was also another aspect to this communal outworking as well. Paul was effectively sent to his enemies. We can see the fear and reluctance of Ananias in his response. But Ananias answered, Lord, I, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Church, are we ready to receive all of those that God sends to us, even those who may be scare us, worry us, very different to us? That's a big challenge, but that's part of being community. That's part of being God's people together. We need to be open and welcoming to all whom God sends. So, from this passage, we've hopefully seen that Jesus is very much alive, that meeting with him can change any and all circumstances and correct our perspective. 
and that the outcome of an encounter usually sends us into action with others. It's not just for us. But before we close, I'd just like to revisit that first point. Jesus is alive. Now, if you already very much know this, then my challenge to you today and my challenge to myself is, how is that shaping your life right now? Your equivalent of Paul's Damascus Road experience when Jesus first broke into your life, that may be very recent or it may, like for me, have been decades ago. Are you still hungry for him? Are you still allowing him to change any ungodly perspectives and to send you to work for others for his glory? Or maybe you're not yet convinced that Jesus is alive. In that case, I urge you to give it some serious thought. Something happened to Paul on that road that completely turned his life around. If it wasn't Jesus, then what? To me, that's, that's, that's the simplest explanation, that's the obvious one. He met the risen Christ, his life was transformed, and the rest we can read about in, in all the scriptures that he wrote. See, if you'd like to start that journey with us, if you'd like to start exploring the story of the risen Jesus, the implications of Jesus being alive today for your life, then please contact us. You can do it via the chat and comment functions where you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube. You can come via our website, allnationsbedford.org. We would love to connect and talk with you. Church, shall we pray? Jesus, we thank you that you are alive. You triumphed over death and you are building your church. And as it says, and says in scripture, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We thank you that an attack on us is an attack on you and that you're ready to defend, ready to encourage, ready to build. Jesus, we thank you that no situation is beyond being turned around. There is nothing we can do that takes us too far away from you that you can't reach out and rescue us when we ask. And Jesus, we're sorry where we've had wrong perspectives. We're sorry where we've been arrogant. Please forgive us and show us your way. And we're also sorry where we fail to grasp how much you love us and want to include us in your purposes. Again, please forgive us and empower us with your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, we thank you that you knit us together as church to see your kingdom built in this town, this nation, and to the nations. And Father, we pray that you'd carry on making us that one new people in Christ that we read about, where there are no divisions, every hostility is broken down. Oh Lord, we ask for more. And finally, would you make us hungry for more of your Holy Spirit encounters to encourage us Give us the correct perspective and then send us out to your work and glory. Amen.